Our account from St. Luke's Gospel, his account of the institution of the Lord's Supper, especially these words, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends in our Lord Jesus Christ. In his book entitled Written in Blood, author Robert Coleman tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion badly. The doctor explained that she had the very same disease that her brother, the boy, had recovered from just two years prior. Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who'd previously overcome this particular Disease And since the two children, the brother and sister, were of the same rare blood type, little Johnny was the perfect and the ideal donor for his sister. So the doctor asked Johnny, would you be willing to give your blood for Mary? And Johnny hesitated and his lower lip started to tremble, but he he forced a brave smile. And he said, okay, for my sister. And soon the two were wheeled into the hospital room, Mary pale thin, Johnny robust and healthy. Neither of them spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny grinned at his sister in a gesture of brotherly assurance. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile that he'd forced upon his face quickly faded. He watched his blood flow through the the tubing to begin to make its way over to his sister. Well, with the ordeal now almost over his voice, slightly shaky, Johnny broke the silence and he said, Doctor, when do I die? Touching account, what a brother won't do for his sister. Well, you know well that in a transfusion, Johnny didn't have to die to give his blood to his sister. But the Bible and the richness of all of its pages is filled with the reality that to save life, truly to save it, life has to be lost. Blood has to be shed. Endless lambs and goats and rams struck down in the stead of those who lived to watch them fall. None of which, though, in itself saved a single life, but each of which prepared individuals for the day when the singularly perfect and the alone chosen Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would die so that those who believe upon him could live. But then what of this meal? What of this meal, this meal instituted by Christ on this night? As the children of God's people have been asking since the first Passover meal, why do we do these things, Father, in this meal? What's meant by this meal, this service, this ritual? In other words, why do we need this supper? Well, we need this supper for the very same reason that little Mary needed that blood transfusion. Because we're sick. We're sin sick. Very likely you know it's a problem for you or you wouldn't be here tonight. Perhaps you think it's not that serious of a problem. A problem for you. Maybe you don't think it's much of a problem at all. Physicians and health awareness spokesmen, they say it all the time. You hear it on television. You see it on television. They say if you have this symptom or that symptom, you are or could be at risk of this or that. 
They say, have it checked out immediately. Speak with your physician, and so often we do. Well, there are symptoms of sin sickness too, aren't there? Do the things, for instance. Do the things that you do cause red eyes from the crying or the discomfort or irritation or the sharp pain that you've caused in the lives of others? Do you find that even the good that you would do, that you don't do? And that which you don't want to do, those are the very things that you end up doing? Do you find daily that you're aging? And that if this trend continues, you, like the countless gone before, will one day die? Symptoms. Did you answer the question at the beginning of this hour, as we were answering the the Christian questions and answers, did you answer the question, do you believe you're a sinner, in the affirmative? Well, you should. Well, we all should, for we are indeed sin-sick. 18th century Englishman John Newton, you know him best probably for the hymns that he's written, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, Amazing Grace. John Newton knew his malady. In a poem he once wrote, Physician of my sin-sick soul, to thee I bring my case, my raging malady, control. And heal me by thy grace. It lies not in a single part, but through my frame is spread. A burning fever in my heart, a palsy in my head. A thousand evil thoughts intrude tumultuous in my breast, which indispose me for my food and rob me of my rest. Maybe you know the effects of the symptoms. Maybe you felt these very things Newton felt. Sin, sickness. If you're still unsure whether or not you're sin-sick, then the good Dr. Luther has a reliable and surefire and a final test. He says, grab your flesh and feel it. And if it's there, then be assured that you belong to the race called men, which Scripture says, since the day it fell into sin, is infected with sin's deadly condition. For Scripture says, death spread to all men, because all sinned. Sin sickness. There's a medicine for our condition, though. You know it. It starts working immediately. There's no limit to the the number of times this medicine can be applied to you. In fact, the good physician who supplies it, and at no cost to you who, who gives it, encourages you to use it repeatedly. Often, he says. I'm talking, of course, about Christ's blood. Blood shed when he died on the cross for the forgiveness of all the sin of all the world. What do the apostles say of this blood of Christ Jesus? Paul says, in Christ we have redemption through this blood. The forgiveness of sins, he writes to the Ephesians. To the Colossians, he says, in Christ God has made peace through the blood of his cross. To the Romans, Paul says, we now have been justified in his blood. St. John wrote in very medicinal language, it would seem, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Doesn't, Doesn't it sound medicinal? Cleansing. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. St. Peter wrote, you were not ransomed with perishable things like silver or gold. 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Precious. It's a good word to use in describing the blood of Christ. For us who are sin sick, indeed it is precious. More precious than Mary's rich blood, rather than Johnny's rich blood was for sick Mary. But in much the same way that Johnny's blood had to be delivered from him, the source, to Mary, the recipient, by means, in their case, the surgical or the, or the medical tubing that carried that blood in the transfusion, Christ also delivers his blood and the health and the richness of it and all that his blood contains to us through chosen means. Certainly his word, baptism, they create faith within us. His word sustains faith within us and in Christ's saving work and in his blood. But I tell you, neither of these bring to you and to your mouth and to your lips the very the actual blood and the resurrected body of Jesus Christ like this supper does. This supper is in many ways like its predecessor, the Passover. Recall that in the first Passover, the blood of the unblemished lamb, it's applied to the doorposts, isn't it? Applied to the doorposts of God's people so that death would pass them over. Recall that in seeing the Lamb's blood applied to their dwellings, the people would by it be encouraged to trust in God's promise of deliverance to them. For as Moses said to them, the Lord would tell his people, and I quote, now the blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you are. In other words, it's not for my benefit, God said, it's for your benefit. That it might enable you to continue to trust that I will deliver you as I said I would. Well, in this meal, that you tonight receive something greater than the Passover is here. In this meal, the perfect Lamb of God slain for us applies His blood again to the doorposts of our hearts, this dwelling, that we might be encouraged by it and know that eternal death has passed us over. It's passed us over already in a way that's just as real as death passing over God's people 3,500 and more Passover nights ago. But this meal for us is far more than just a reminder, a memorial. In this meal, Christ himself through his body and his blood bears to you and to me all the spoils of his cross. Luther summed them up as forgiveness, life, salvation. In considering the contents of this meal, I'm reminded of something from a former parish in which I served. One particular Sunday morning, not long after I'd arrived, in the context of the service at the offering, at the time in which it's done here too, I was preparing the elements for communion. And as I, as I had done for some weeks now since I'd arrived, the silver covers had been removed and placed aside, and I lifted the, the, the small pitcher in which the communion wine waits, and I began to pour it into the communion chalice, the, the silver cup. And as the wine began filling the chalice, something caught my eye that I hadn't seen before. It's not that it hadn't been there before, I just hadn't seen it there before. It had been there all along. 
There in the wine of the communion chalice, I saw the reflection of what was up on the wall in front of me, high upon the wall in front of the altar, a big and a beautiful crucifix, a cross with Christ's body on it, reflecting down in the cup of communion. What a beautiful image that was, and something I remembered thereafter each time I filled that communion chalice. The artist Raphael, who painted your bulletin cover here, the image used on your bulletin cover, he saw that image too, not not the one that I saw, but in faith he saw the same image, Christ's blood in the cup, because in the image that's included on your bulletin cover, the, the, the piece of art that he painted, he has angels collecting in chalices for communion the blood, the drops of blood of Christ from his cross. In faith he saw it too, you see it too in faith. When you come here and receive that blood, you see it poured into the chalice. When the chalice comes to your lips, you know what's in that cup, the contents of communion, Christ's cross, and all that it's won for you. It's a wonderful food, a wonderful medicine, this supper. And indeed it can be called that. It has been called a medicine. Since earliest times, it's been called the medicine of immortality. It's a medicine, a remedy for the weak and the weary and the sin-sick soul. But a warning to those who use this medicine. Like the best medicines, indeed, this medicine too can bring health and does to the one in need. And at the same time, it can be harmful if not taken according to the good physician's direction. And in Scripture, the good physician is clear with his prescription. If you don't believe in the ingredients, if you don't believe in the saving effect, if you don't believe that the body and blood of Christ were given and shed on Calvary's cross for you, and in this meal, this very body and blood of Christ delivers the the benefits of the cross to you, then this medicine's not yet received to its God-intended benefit, but to ill effect says the good physician. Christ longs that all who would receive it would receive it unto their good. Indeed, didn't he die so that they would? Tonight you've heard why this meal is needed. You and I were sin sick. You've heard what it is in this meal that brings such good to us. It's the very body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Almighty God, Bearing to you forgiveness and spiritual life and sustaining it. Let me lastly tell you tonight why you can be so sure that all that this meal is said to be and said to bring already belongs to you who believe in it. And it has to do with the word Christ used, testament. See, it's not at all coincidental that Jesus instituted this meal just hours before he died. Neither was it incidental that Jesus used the words New Testament, new in this case, in the Greek, not meaning something that has never been before, but new in a, in a fresh sense. But he uses the word here, testament, in describing what, what this is. You've heard the word testament, no doubt, before, certainly in the churchly context, Old Testament, New Testament. But beyond that, you've heard it time and again. And you hear it all the time. And in fact, you may have a bit of personal familiarity with it if you've ever spent any time 
contemplating or drafting your last will and testament. A testament, according to the dictionary, is a legal statement providing for the desired dispersal of one's own personal property. In other words, it's when a dying man bequeaths his possessions, his personal property, to his legally defined heirs. But here's the catch of necessity. A testament has no power unless the one who wills it has died. Did you know that that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says? And I quote him here. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead. Since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Friends. The one who loved you and who willed to you his heirs as your inheritance all that belongs to him, eternal life, salvation, heaven's treasures, he has died. He has died. We mark it tomorrow he died and in so doing he set this new testament, this fresh testament into effect for you. And the wonder of it all is that the one who died wouldn't remain dead. But would rise so that he himself would bring to you all of the benefits of this new testament. Even in a cup. In his blood. He said this cup is the new testament in my blood. And so friends take and eat it, take and drink his body and his blood, hear his word, recall that you yourself have been made heirs in baptism so that you might ever believe in him. Last word from Dr. Luther who said it this way, Christ, having before his death willed and ordained that his gospel be preached after his death in all the world, thereby gave to all who believe as their possession everything he had. This included his life, in which he swallowed up death, his righteousness, by which he blotted out sin, and his salvation, with which he overcame everlasting damnation. You see, friends, as the choir sang in our gradual, he is the mediator of the New Testament by means of his death, that those who are called, you, may receive the promise of your everlasting inheritance. This meal you need. By this meal and the faith it sustains, you live. Through this meal, Christ in his own flesh and blood, he delivers to you, his heirs, the riches of all that he has. And it's yours. The meal is prepared. Come, taste, and see that your Lord is good. A blessed Monday, Thursday to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.